Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hi, I'm Carl Gearhart from the Giant Country Horns. This podcast is In the Loop, 
the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics you love. Check out OsirisPod.com, stay in the loop, and sign up for the newsletter to learn about the newest podcasts and events. Relics Magazine is a media partner of Osiris. For music news, go to Relics.com. Hey everybody, Stopping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 142. We're about to get you to a very special conversation with a few guests who are putting together a fish tribute uh, show in late November. You'll hear all about it with with some very special guests. But um, first, just want to tell you that, as you all know, we're part of the Osiris Network. If you're um, looking for some couch tour reporting, you will be excited to hear that uh, we're going to come back at you with couch reports for um, the second night of all five runs on fall tour. So we'll have more information about that at OsirisPod.com. But it'll be me and Tom and um, you'll hear from Matt and Jonathan and others from across the Osiris network. We're going to do some contests. We're going to mix it up a little bit with uh, some interviews from the lot and do all kinds of stuff. So stay tuned for that. Check out OsirisPod.com and um, subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't yet, because that's where we are um, updating everyone with the latest information. And on the network, I've been really excited about a couple new podcasts that I just want to mention. One is Alternate Roots with Jesse Jarnow. He uh, brings you music that you can't find on the mainstream services. And he's just, he's really good at curating tunes. He's really good at, at finding new music. And I learn a lot and hear some really good stuff. So check that out. It's on, that's at OsirisPod.com. And then just uh, this week, we just launched Dark Blue, which is a really interesting podcast that basically explores the intersection of art and mental health. And um, Jeff Rickley, who is a singer of a band called Thursday and and has been for about 20 years, he has his own sort of trauma recovery um, story that he has inspired him to start this podcast. And he talks to all kinds of um, interesting musicians, artists, and others about um, health issues and staying staying healthy on the road as a traveling musician and, and generally people who have chosen a life in the arts. So I think you might enjoy that as well. And um, the last one that we just added recently is called Amigos with Mike Fanoia. He's a comedian and, and music fan, and he talks to musicians and comedians and everyone in between. Uh, really funny stuff, and, and he's he's done a good job. So hope you all check that out. And send us uh, your thoughts, feedback via email or Twitter or Facebook. We're at HFPod on Twitter and on Facebook. HelpingFriendlyPodcast at gmail.com is the email. And put a review for us in uh, Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. And if you have, thank you. We appreciate it. Appreciate the feedback. Um, we love hearing from you all. So keep it coming. And uh, thanks for the support. So we'll get you into this into this interview. Um, and then we're going to play some music at the end. So hope you enjoy. Thanks for sticking around. And thanks, as always, for the support. Keep on rocking. All right, so here we are, two weeks from Hampton 2018, 20 years removed from Hampton 98, so we're going to talk to three guests about a show they're doing to commemorate those shows 20 years ago. First, I should say I'm joined by Matt and Jonathan, and Brad could not join us this week. He, um, we just found out he's going to be playing James Bond in the next um, James Bond movie, so he's going to be 
um, on location filming for for some time, and we'll welcome him back, of course. But um, our special guests today are um, Adam Chase, who's the drummer from Jazz is Fish, and he's uh, um, involved with a lot of other musical projects you probably know, which he'll talk about a little bit. We're here with Carl Gerhardt, who most people know as a member of the Giant Country Horns. Um, started playing with Fish in 1988, um, but of course is pr- probably best known for the 1991 Horns Tour, which I still go back to today, and we're happy to have him here. He uh, served 30 years in the Navy and is now a course director at the U.S. Naval War College. But um, we're going to talk to him about Horns and Fish. And then, of course, speaking of Fish, we have uh, Tom Marshall as our next guest, Fish lyricist and friend of the pod. So thank you all for joining. The reason we have you guys here today is that you all will be part of a reunion um, of the band Strange Design, which is a Fish cover band, and you're going to be covering Hampton Comes Alive in full both nights, um, Friday, November 16th and Saturday, November 17th at Drum in New York City. We'll have a link for tickets in the show notes, so hope everyone can make it out to Drum and check it out. I think it's going to be really fun, but let's talk to you, Adam, first about how this came together. Can you tell us a little bit about why you wanted to create this run and, and how this came together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I guess uh, I'll start with a little bit of background. Uh, Strange Design was a band that came about when Fish was seemingly retired for good. Nobody really knew what the fate was going to be, but they had, you know, it was after Coventry. And um, my brother and I, who are both musicians, we did one show where we played Fish music and people were like, wow, like you guys really do this justice. And um, the management of Dark Star Orchestra reached out and we ended up just kind of coming to this idea that it'd be really cool to recreate fish shows and have, you know, what exists for the dead with Dark Star Orchestra, but doing it for fish. So um, the years when fish wasn't playing, this was something we were touring with. And then when fish came back, we, um, you know, we, we settled back and made this more of a special event thing. So we've only done a few shows since fish has been back with this band. Uh, we recreated Arrowhead Ranch, um, because those were very special shows. And then the 20th anniversary of Rift, we performed the Rift album. And there, it's been a couple of years since we've done anything. And um, and since then, I started Jazz is Fish, which is fun for me because I get to do more original interpretations of Fish's music. And through that, I got acquainted with Tom and Carl. And um, I didn't really have an intention of re- reuniting Strange Design. But um, when I got... when Tom and Carl and I were hanging out. It just kind of came up about that show. And and then Sirius Radio played uh, some stuff from Hampton Comes Alive. I think it was like the second set of one of the shows. And Tom and Carl and I got into a, uh, a text about it. And then I was like, you know what? It's I'm going to reunite the band just to do this. It would be super fun. It was a show that I was at as a fan. And it's you know, it's just one of these shows where it's just so epic. Uh, the amount of songs, the songs they played, the type of jamming they were doing. And it was just fun. It was like one of the most fun weekends that I had as a fan. And I know Tom and Carl had a lot of fun as well from our conversations about it. So this is just, um, it's really, it's not like we're reuniting this band that we're going to go back on tour. So like if people are here in this podcast, no matter where you're from, if you want to be a part of this, you should come to New York for the weekend because it's not going to be out on the road by any means. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting on the mic and actually hitting the right note from the word go on uh, tub thumping. I think I uh, I hit a way off note. <laughs> it was like a, it was falsetto and it was like um, uh, pissing the night away, I think, is the is the line. And I, I 
you know, it's a high falsetto already for me. And I think for whatever reason, nervousness, uh, my voice added like an extra like five notes high. And I, I came in and I even heard the audience laugh like, wow. What, what, what's about to happen to us? And uh, I, I think after that, you know, I came through, but um, I'm looking forward to, to hitting the right notes. That's, that's what I'm looking forward to. Tommy, you stole my thunder. That's exactly what I was thinking. I hope I hit the right notes again. Um, <laughs> I think it was the, the, the night before I came up for the encore for Cavern, and uh, I guess my mic wasn't turned on, so the, the first couple of licks I played didn't come out. But uh, uh, that was really, really exciting. And then playing that second night uh, with Tom, it was just over the top. It was just great. Yep, both Carl and I um, uh, received from the band later a super large blow-up photo, I think by Danny Clinch, a really beautiful photo of that exact instant uh, when when we're out there. And it hangs prominently in uh, my studio, and it's one of my favorite fish photos ever. Carl, me, Trey, uh, I think you can see Fishman in it, and uh, it, there's just smiles everywhere. I have that hanging up as well. That's actually uh, that part of that six CD set. Um, one of the CD covers is that picture. So it's pretty neat. Brad and I and another friend drove from Columbus. Um, it was it was an interesting first time to Hampton. Strange, strange place, great place to see shows. And um, I want to hear some stories from you. My, my best story, I think, is that I Brad and I were up on and as close as I've ever been at a fish show uh, up to that point, and I, I had ridden tube on the back of a, a cardboard piece of a beer beer box and um, was holding it up, I think, into um, the rock and roll part two, and then they, they ended up playing tube, and, and later on I found the, the tube sign on the, on the ground. So I think it was a total coincidence that they played it, but that was kind of cool. But I'm sure you guys have other stories. Um, who wants to jump in and just tell us a little bit about your memories from, from this run? Um, I guess I'll kick this one off just taking your lead from a fan perspective. Um, I was actually in high school and I went with my brother and a bunch of friends down to see the shows. And um, I, I just remember like when rock and roll part two started, like how they opened the show, there was just like a feeling of like, okay, you kind of knew it was going to be a special show from that point on. It didn't, you know, sometimes shows like it's like third, fourth song where you like get a feeling like something special is happening. But I felt like there was an energy from the get go where you like knew something special was going to happen.
just like the just you know take everything else away the amount of songs they played <laughs> that weekend it was just it was outstanding and I just remember that first set felt like it was never going to end. I think there was like 14 or 15 songs in the first set, something ridiculous. And um, it just had, had a vibe about it where it just, you know, you know, some shows have a certain energy. And, and that was definitely one of them where everyone in the audience kind of knew we were in for something special. Yeah, Hampton tends to carry that weight. Uh, it's it's kind of my home field venue. And I, I was there. I was there with my now wife and we had only been dating for a couple months and some good friends and we had just an absolute terrific weekend and i i I could talk for hours about specific memories in those shows because they were kind of a big deal for me it's first shows i saw with my wife and uh uh, but one of the things i remember distinctly from the first night we were sitting on Paige's side pretty close up to the stage but we were on the side and uh when uh Trey went to take over the drums. They brought out the cards, the big cue cards, and we couldn't see what they said. But my buddy Marty, he hit me on the arm. He said, "Dude, he's gonna rap. He's gonna rap." I thought, "No, how the, what? No!" And then they did, and I was even more astonished that uh, <laughs> uh, not only did Fishman do a fair job with "Get Jiggy With It," the band played the groove beautifully, and Marty called this. How did he call it? It was, you know, it was it was pretty. Uh, substantial uh, memory for me. It's pretty amazing. And the whole weekend was full of things like that. came out for Cavern that was you know pretty thrilling as somebody who had heard your work with the band years before never had, but I hadn't had the privilege of seeing you when you toured with them or whatnot and then yeah Tom it was cool when you came out for Tub Thumping too so <laughs> I appreciate that so, so I, I was not at these shows but um, obviously the being released on Hampton Comes Alive uh, I think Myself and everybody, we've all heard them a number of times. It was a great selection to be put out as a box set. Um, but I think we just uh, heard everybody kind of talk about the the specialness of the venue and of this this weekend and of these shows. Um, Carl and Tom, did you guys kind of pick up any of that kind of, you know, backstage being around the band? Was there any um, – th- there was a lot of crazy covers that weekend. Was there kind of a particular jovial mood around it or, or what are your memories there? Uh I remember being with uh, Eric Larson, um, and he couldn't stop talking about the Tube Quinn, uh, which uh, opened the show. Well, actually, Rock and Roll opened the show, and then Tube Quinn. But uh, he he would say later, uh, and I think in Set Break as well, and even to the band, that that was like one of their finest moments. And I kind of, there was an excitement. There was something special, and I think Jonathan hit on it 
uh, Hampton carries that weight. It's a, uh, I, I don't know why. And I never really kind of had picked up on it being from, you know, further North New Jersey. And, uh, you know, Hampton had been one of, and, and became one of Fish's favorite places to play. And this was kind of the first time that I was sort of realizing why. Um, and I just want to say my, my second set of the first night was, uh, incredibly powerful and I think for me it really kicked in I mean I, I love Exilla always um, and Exilla roses are free just the mood in the in the audience was unbelievable it was one of those tidal wave uh, moods you know it's kind of like when we were talking about um, with uh, Brad Sands when uh, they did you know the Beastie Boys sabotage it was kind of the same energy there's unbelievable amount of energy. So, Tom, I want to ask you about that. But, Carl, first, I got to say, Cavern, I think, uh, speaking for, for most fans, if I, if I may, I think is one of, uh, one of our favorites um, in terms of hearing you, you play horns over a fish song. So that's awesome that you got to play that. And I'm glad that it, it, it's special for you, too. So, Tom, this was a, a point at which you were going up on stage, mostly invited um, fairly often. But then uh, I, know, I know you haven't as much, but um, interesting that, throughout the 90s you were you were up there a lot almost every tour at least right well i think after the horn tour you know there was uh one-off kind of sit-ins that i did um with fish but anytime i was in the area i was i was living in virginia beach at the time um wherever they played you know i I'd, I'd show up and trace said man make sure you have your horn every time you come whether you come up and play or not i just want to make sure you know it was one of those hey just just be there you know so uh hanging out um backstage i think the first night um you know trey pulled me aside he goes man i want to do something special for the encore you know so of, of course i was i was pretty amped up so i spent most of the time on the floor you know between the floor and going backstage and then not until i think the set break he's like you know told me what he wanted me to play so that's always been the excitement um being with those guys and uh you know just I love Cavern because it, you know, it's it stands alone as basically the trumpet thing. You know, we did, we uh, actually had horn parts for for Dave Grippo and Russ Remington and myself for the tour, the horn tour. But um, you know, just to play it on my own was always a lot of fun, and uh, that night was just over the top for me. That night was just over the top for me, and of course, going back the second night and um, and 
hanging out with the band again. And Trey's like, yeah, well, I've got even something bigger in mind. This is before the gig. And then at, uh, and maybe Tom will, uh, I don't know if he's going to correct me, but this is how I remember it. You know, during their set break, you know, the, the, uh, I guess the six of us went back to the, the band. Uh, they had a little rehearsal room uh, backstage at Hampton. And, and they said, hey, this is what we want to do as far as tub thumping. I'm like, wow, I got to learn this. Like, you know, this is before, uh, you know, smartphones and, you know, there was actually a boom box. And because uh, I had to listen to the, I, I didn't listen to much radio at the time. So I'm like, well, what is this thing? You know, so <laughs> I was able to cop the horn part off of it. But anyway, it was just a blast. And uh, we kind of rehearsed it quietly uh, at uh, set break. And then I, I guess we pulled it off at the end. That that is that is how I remember it, Carl. Um, and I was like, I was jonesing for a rehearsal because I was wor- worried that we were going to try to just wing it, you know, as the as the show progressed. Because I had thought we would, I think Trey had told me about it the night before, and so I thought maybe we'd rehearse it before the show, and then you know, and I'm nervous about going up on stage as it is, uh, and so I was the whole first set. I was just sort of like biting my nails, like. Holy shit! Uh, I I hope I was kind of hoping it didn't happen, you know, like oh maybe they're not gonna, <laughs> maybe they're not going to do this, and I was kind of like trying to trick myself into thinking you know everything's fine, but everything wasn't fine, and I kind of like the first set I was sort of like a, a little bit of a wreck until the practice, and then that was just we laughed the whole we la- we were laughing so hard it was just <laughs> an amazing I, I, you know it was unbelievable and my my tension vanished. Tom, you have a history of um, obviously, you know, coming up on stage a lot for uh, what I believe are mostly invited um, appearances, uh, often very humorous on some cool cover songs and and whatnot. Um, As you think back over the years, you know, going way, way back to the early days and then um, more recent appearances, um, what's changed about, uh, you know, the vibe around the band and, um, you know, kind of what happens when uh, when you're coming out on stage? I like how you said mostly invited. Um, <laughs> I think that's a reference to uh, SPAC 2012 when the Dude, Dude of Life and I um, crashed the stage. And uh, that that uh, has been my only 3.0 stage appearance. And I think because of the way we appeared on stage, I think that pretty much seals the deal as to that being my final 3.0 appearance (laughs) (laughs) as well. (laughs) Um, But uh, I think what you're referring to is the fact that, yes, in uh, Fish 1.0, I I was called up quite a bit. And and what's changed, really, and I was trying to think about this. uh, People ask me this all the time, and I kind of, I've always sort of avoided answering, and I don't know why. But um, I think if I had to summarize what I think the answer is, and it's not that I'm offended in any way. In fact, uh, it's kind of uh, relaxing or, all right, well, let me, let me just, Fish takes their music so incredibly seriously. And they're, they're extremely serious about any message they present, you know, and their artwork, their posters, just a tremendous amount of thought goes into all that stuff. And I think they want their audience. I mean, they definitely want their audience to know they're very serious about all that stuff. And so I think a guest, and especially like a wacky guest doing a parody in some cases of a song, kind of interferes with that intention or that focus. So I haven't been asked up and I I get it. And to me, it's like better in my estimation that overall audience experience is without, you know, without any doubt, 100% working really well. And say what you will, but 
you know, they're coming up on 33 years and going so strong right now that you can't argue that they're doing something wrong. You know, should they take more risks? Uh, no, one, no one could look you in the eye and say fish should change anything they're doing right now. Um, that said, I believe guests occasionally would be interesting. And I'm not, I'm definitely not talking about me, but more like touring with horns and a percussionist again, or something like that, maybe, who knows. But again, between their management and themselves as a band, they're, they're clearly making the exact right decisions over and over again. And it's unprecedented what they're doing as a band and at the level they're doing it right now. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and from a fan perspective, I will say, you know, especially when I was younger, um, when I was a little more detached from like, you know, just being friends with people in the group and um, knowing more of the inside perspective. But, you know, just thinking about when I was younger, going to see Fish from a, you know, entirely fan perspective before I learned their music and anything like that. Um, there was something that just felt special about if you were at a show where there, there was a guest, you know, if they brought, you know, Carl or Tom out and, you know, part of what made Hampton Comes Alive so special, I think it, it wasn't just that they played 44 songs in two days and just did all these epic tunes and had a great energy, but like, you know, Tom and Carl made the shows even more special for fans because, you know, there, there's something about the Fish fan that I think is so unique to Fish which is, a, it's one of the most incredible things um, is that, you know, fans all talk about like, oh, and there was, you know, and Tom came out or Carl came out or, you know, they, you know, like, I, I mean, from a completely musical perspective, uh, like a narration, it, I don't want to say takes away, but it's not like just playing music. It's not about the jamming, but like, even if, you know, Trey has a few words to say or expounds upon, upon an idea, uh, thanks to the audience, like people talk about that. Fans talk about that. So, you know, I do think, um, you know, what Tom is saying is, is, is true where in one respect, you know, because they're so serious, they wouldn't want anything to take away from what they're doing. But, you know, from a fan perspective, I do think that it's really fun when you get to be at one of the shows where they bring people out. Cause it, it is a rare thing, um, especially now. And so, it, you know, I just think it's cool. And if, yeah, if they did that, like I was at the shows, um, when they did the album, uh, waiting for Columbus, and they had horns and they had a percussionist and, and that, that album, the way they performed it was so epic and it was, it was just really cool to be at that show. Uh, not specifically because of the people they brought out, but just the whole presentation of the music and the way they did it was, uh, it was really cool. And I know lots of fans after that show were talking about it. Um, so that is something that Fish has going for them. It's just whatever they do, anything, anytime something is a little bit different than normal, it makes it epic and people, you know, fans talk about it for years. I think Mike made a comment a couple of years ago that um having a guest on stage changes the energy and it seems like when there's a guest on stage it sort of becomes the focal point of the show uh when they've done it recently whether it's like you know kenny rogers or bruce springsteen sitting in the, with them at bonnaroo um the kind of you know natural energy and trajectory that they have as a band throughout the show seems to kind of get hijacked but it's it's definitely fun when they're able to uh integrate that into uh into the show smoothly I really hope they can bring Tom Hanks back sometime. Um, <laughs> so let's look a bit to let's look forward to this uh, show at the drum. It sounds like it's quite an undertaking, Adam, to recreate a two night run of from Fish uh, after you've been doing jazz as Fish, which it's you know more um, creative interpretation. Uh, what, this is going to be the full recreation. So, what's the most challenging part of something like this, and why? 
why why do it? What what's the appeal to you yeah. as a performer? I, I do think that this might be the most like daunting undertaking musically that I may have ever have kind of signed up for. I mean, it, it, the, just the amount of songs alone, uh, you know, 44 songs, even if they were all easy songs, just takes time to learn and takes time to rehearse. But then you have some of their harder songs like Whale of Papyrus and, um, you know, Stash, Split Open and Melt, uh, Rift. You know, you have these songs that it's not like you can just listen to it a couple of times and, and be able to play it. You really have to dig in and, and work your way through it. And I, so I think just from a you know, a musician standpoint, even, you know, working with some of the best musicians in the world, which I've been fortunate to do, um, there's no substitute for shedding and putting time into learning music. You, no matter how good you are, you can't just listen to something once that is as uh, complex and challenging as Fish's music and expect to be able to perform it at a high level. So um, just, yeah, the amount of songs and the, the challenge of those songs is, you know, something that is going to be I guess the biggest challenge, not to be redundant. Um, but then also, I think one of the challenges with, you know, Strange Design, um, you know, when we used to tour with it a lot, when it was a touring project and we were playing all the time and we had all the music down and had, you know, we're playing songs every night, it was almost like we could open any show Fish ever did and just play it and understand, you know, what were, you know, certain stylistic and, and tonal things about the year. Um, kind of similar to Dark Star, you know, if they're playing a certain year, certain era, they're going to have different tones that they use. So, um, you know, 98, it was, you know, obviously very different than 91 as far as, you know, keyboard tones, piano tones, different guitar tones, uh, approaches to jamming, um, you know. So, but with that in mind, while we do want to recreate the show, you know, we know the fans are going in, they're going to know what the set list is. So we want to honor the show, recreate it. Um, have uh, authenticity to the style and time, but we also want to, when we get into a jam, um, have, re you know, be real about it, you know? So if it, we're not going to go into the jams trying to note for note play each jam because that would feel forced. It wouldn't, you know, one of the things that makes Fish special is when they get into their improv, um, it, it, there's an element of spontaneity. There's an element of magic that happens because they're all listening to each other uh, better than any rock band has ever improvised, in my opinion. And their ears are wide open, so they move through music in a way where it takes the audience on a ride where we have this feeling of there's something spiritual going on. And, and the, the spirituality behind the music, in my opinion, has to do with when people are you know, their ears are wide open and they're listening and they're responding and they've taken the time to like master a craft, but then they're, you know, um, in the moment. It's, it's almost like a Buddhist or, you know, uh, Ram Dass-esque experience of being in the moment with their music. So our, our challenge is going to be recreating it without um, losing that sense of spontaneity. So we're going to want to stylistically be accurate to the jams, but we're also going to want to be able to approach them in a way where the energy that we have with our audience that night is going to, you know, we're going to be able to feed off of that and move with that in a way where it's going to be an authentic experience and not just like a forced, you know, trying to be fish as much as um, honoring them and honoring that night and honoring that weekend. So who's going to rap? 
Uh, that'll be me. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I'll, I'll probably need cue cards as well. I'll, I'll try to memorize it, but that's 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 uh, with all the songs I have to learn. That's definitely going to be something where because Fishman had the cue cards, I feel like I I, uh, I won't feel bad about having them. Also, I think so, that's fair. He did have good flow though. So he did. He did. <laughs> so so I've got to ask you: is you, is the approach then to try to um, well let's let's put it this way? Uh, John's performance of getting jiggy with it was uh, kind of delightfully sloppy, is maybe a way to put it. Um, are you trying to recreate that experience or do what Tom was doing and maybe take a mulligan on Fish's behalf and uh, and get it right? You know, there, there's something funny about um, my experiences with Strange Design and. When we used to be uh, touring with the band, we would listen to shows and we would hear something to be like, "Oh, that was that was bad. They they really messed that up. That you know, Fish just totally they messed it up. We're not you know, I know we're recreating the shows, but let's let's not just do that mistake just because it's there. You know, let's <laughs> let's play it right. And then we get into the show and lo and behold, we mess up the same part at the same place. <laughs> and it wasn't intentional. We intended to play it right. It just happened that way. And so I think um, there's just something about the energy behind doing it. You know, it's, you know, it's guys who love the music, who are into it, who, um, you know, uh, us as players, the, the guys that I have for this particular show, you know, we grew up listening to Fish. It's in our DNA uh, musically. So I, I think, you know, I might intend to, like, for instance, with that song, I might go out there like, oh, I'm going to crush this. I'm going to wrap it right. But I just have a feeling that there's certain energies. It's going to just... Uh, based on my experiences in the past, if something happens sloppily, it might happen again just by accident. Gotcha. Awesome. So, as a uh, as a player, is there any particular um, song that uh, that you're looking forward to playing? Um, I, uh, uh, is it Guela or Gula Papyrus? How do you pr- pronounce that song? Gula. Gula. Gila Papyrus. That song has always blown my mind. It's it's got the fugue from which is you know like a classical uh, approach to music in Ass Festival, um, and there's just like that kind of like reggae fusion um, part and the lyrics of of that song. Just I've always loved that. So I'm really and and that's actually going to be probably the, one of the most challenging songs to play. Um, and then from an energy standpoint, I feel like uh, Harry Hood is a song that it always is like something that could just blow the roof off of any any uh, venue because it starts off the the jam can start starts off so quiet and beautiful and sp- and sparse and then it turns into this like epic monster of you know just of an energy it's it's like made to create energy and so like i love that song i love playing it i can't wait to play that again um really looking forward to that as well um listening to Adam and the guys play all night, and then I get to play my one song at the end, I suppose. <laughs> Just uh, had a great opportunity since, I guess, February of 2016 to uh, not only meet Adam and, and Matt and, and Mandy Chase, but to be able to go on the road with them and play with Jazz's Fish and play with uh, the James Brown Dance Party. It's just been a blast. And, um they're just wonderful, wonderful people and just so professional. So it's going to be a great hang. And, of course, seeing my old buddy Tom again, it's going to be wonderful. So, Carl, you went into a, a lot of depth on, in terms of your playing with Fish and, and where you started and how Paige introduced you to the group and the 91 tour and the suits and all that um, on Female Centrics, which is a, 
a, a great um, podcast as part of our network and appreciate you doing that. And, and also if people want to hear more from you about your experience with fish, I encourage them to check that out. But um, I just want to ask you the same thing I asked Tom, which is this has been for you 30 years since you first uh, came into contact with the band and, and you've been playing with them throughout. What do you what do you see now versus then and, and where they've been and where they're going? Just curious to kind of get your take on where fish is now. Um, you know, listening to what Tom had to say earlier, I mean, I just couldn't put it any more succinctly than that as far as how they approach everything. And they still are, uh, you know, the first time, of course, I, I grew up with Paige, so he and I have been playing music together since we were 10 years old, you know. Um, but when I first met the band in 88, uh, before the Stone Church gig in November, you know, we hung out at a pizzeria and just just the vibe I had sitting in a pizzeria having something to eat before the gig and talking about, hey, we'd like you to come up and play a few tunes and they name the songs or whatever. Um, I just I just thought to myself, you know, these guys are so genuine. Of course, Paige is one of my oldest friends, but just knowing that, wow, I had and I never heard one note uh, of what they were playing uh, until that night because I didn't have tapes or anything like that. Paige and I would just talk on the phone and say, hey, man, I'm in this band. I want you to come up and if you come up and sit in. And I was living in Newport at the time. So um, just hanging out with them. And then obviously playing with them and then uh, getting together uh, a couple years later uh, under the guise of playing the Johnny B. Fishman Jazz Ensemble in in Burlington. <laughs> and, then, and then Trey Spring in the, uh, the Horn Tour uh, idea on me the next day and and just how everything just went from that point to uh, I knew I was part of something special but didn't know how big it was at the time um, but the how genuine those guys are and they remain that way today I think the last time I played with them was was in Virginia uh, a couple years ago maybe 2012 and they just haven't changed at all um, so um, as far as the business model, of course, things are things are different now. Um, you know, when I go see them and I'm hanging out, and I'm the only vehicle behind backstage, you know, other than their uh, tractor trailers and their tour buses. You know, just how they do their business is quite impressive. Um, but the gentlemen themselves, they just haven't changed a bit. So the music, incredible. Um, would I love to see the giant country horns play with them again? Of course, always at the ready. Don't have a pink tuxedo, but I'm sure they'll hook us up. Um, but just, you know, I, I love it. I, I appreciate their music so much more now, just being um, kind of on the inside looking out, being a, being a part of it as far as them welcoming me in everywhere they are uh, as part of the family. So it's it's just a really, really cool thing. I always give uh, Carl a hard time about that because – you know, you look back to the to the '91 shows and Arrowhead Ranch shows, and you know, you you got the guys, the four guys in fish, where they're on shorts and cut off <laughs> shirts. It looks like it's 110 degrees out, and then you got Caro and and Dave and uh, Russ just like sweating it out in these thick looking you know tuxedos. <laughs> just, <laughs> I, I, you know, I know it's like a serious thing, but I, you know, I think that's hilarious. Well, we, we had asked, uh, they, I, I was voted the spokesman for the horn section, and I think Grippos put the thumb down on me, and he said, listen, man, go talk to Trey. Um, we want to play this gig in shorts just like them. 
And so I went up and uh, had, had said something to Trey, and he's like, he's like, Gears, man, what's your name? I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you guys are the giant country horns. You have to look like the giant country horns. <laughs> so, hey, man, I get it. You know, I'm in the Navy. I took an order, turned around, and uh, we did it. So that's <laughs> – <laughs> but uh, – we wore those things for 14 shows, man. I don't think they ever went to the dry clean, dry cleaner. That <laughs> <laughs> would be accurate. And then the other thing is, I just want to give a shout out to Chad Dinzes, who is playing keys for us at this show. He's the uh, organist at Madison Square Garden. And so when you hear fish teases at Rangers games and Knicks games uh, that he's become famous for doing like It's Ice at Rangers games, that's the guy who's going to be playing keys with us. So uh, when, uh-huh. when, when I saw the show start off with Rock and Roll Part 2 and he plays that all, you know, as like the, the go song at all the games, I was like, oh, this is perfect. This is going to be great. So I just I, wanted to give I, a shout out to him. I heard a rumor that Chris is doing the lighting for them now. Yeah, Chris Kuroda set up the lighting at Madison Square Garden. So, yeah, it's all a big circle that we're connecting the dots for here. And um, unfortunately, I couldn't get two nights at Madison Square Garden for this. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam, Carl, Tom, we really appreciate you guys taking the time today. It's been really fun to reflect back on, on Hampton 98 and um, look forward to seeing you guys at DROM November Uh, Friday, November 16th and Saturday, November 17th. And like I said, there will be um, a link in the notes about how you can uh, check out those shows. But um, yeah, thanks guys for for joining. Thanks. Thank you very much. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking... I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
All right, everyone. I hope you enjoy that jam we threw on the end there and hope you enjoyed the uh, interview with, with Tom and Carl and Adam. Uh, we had a fun time revisiting that and could have talked for a lot longer. Uh, let us know what you think. Get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, email. Um, give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't yet. And um, we will see you. I think our next, uh, our next episode will be a quick hit from the first night of Albany. So be on the lookout for that. We're, we're excited for fall tour, as I'm sure everyone else is. And um, as I mentioned up top, we're going to be doing couch reports at each of the, for each of the stops on the tour. So check out um, OsirisPod.com and sign up for the newsletter to be updated on um, everything related to, to couch reports. So uh, with that, for Matt and Jonathan and Brad, this is RJ. And um, we'll see you guys soon. Thanks for tuning in. Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear. The people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments. The ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember. The ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Grace Street.